Hey everybody, this is the audio version of the latest video essay. There will be some visual stuff that uh, won't make as much sense in the audio format, but I figured I would put it up here so that you have something to listen to in the car or on your commute uh, as we are taking a break from the podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful uh, time. I love being a full-time YouTuber. It is the best job I have ever had, hands down. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I am so thankful for all your support and all your kind words and the community you provide. And I'm honestly just over the moon that I get to do this with my life. And it has been really awesome. But there are some downsides. The angry comments are expected given the nature of what I do, but also they can really hurt sometimes. Sections roast you. I mean, they light you up. Like I care what people who watch your tutorials say about me. What is one? I've had people wish natural disasters on me or just wishing that I would die. I've had threats of hell. All those wonderful things that you would expect. When did Chucky grow up and get ugly? Chucky grow up to get ugly? Chucky's ugly as a boy. Bad logic. Next. But I think the hardest part of what I do, and I know I have chosen this, is when I sit down and have to watch hours and hours of sermons or hours and hours of Christian YouTubers. The amount of swearing at the screen and rage quitting that happens in this small apartment is probably more than most large corporations. But there are a few things that are consistent in these sermons. Long pauses after making a point. Weird pastor cadence. Your life doesn't begin when you get married. A boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't make your life start happening. Life is happening. The question is, are you happening? I picture the Christian life as a kind of spiral up into ever-increasing hope, which leads to ever-increasing joy and peace, which leads to experiences with God in trial, which lead to more hope. The harder the bottom, the higher the bounce. God let me be cut down for a little while, but I see a shoe coming from the start. But there's a great debate going on about this what are we going to do about this magician that rose from the dead? And appealing to science when it fits their narrative. When we look for evidence that helps us believe in God, there are many places we can look to. We can look to the sciences. We can look to morality. We can look to history. We can look to stories of Jesus Christ, this, the story of a God made flesh come to us in first century Palestine. ...to the universe but it looks like the universe had a transcendent cause because if all space, time, matter, energy began, then anything within space and time cannot have been the cause of that beginning. Because sex creates this bond between you two. It's like been a scientific study that when, you're, when you have sex with someone, oxytocin is released into your body, which is a bonding chemical, and you're bonded to that person whether you like it or not. Nowhere else in nature do we see something called evolutionary adaptation that leads toward the destruction of a species. But the problem with this, of course, is that they only appeal to science when they think it agrees with their message and dismiss it completely if it goes against what they already believe. You got to realize this. Science doesn't show all the truth. Just because it's science doesn't mean you get all the truth. Didn't you realize that? Hey everybody, thank you so much for liking and subscribing and commenting and all the other wonderful stuff you do because you're all wonderful people who are awesome. I put the links down below for the social media as well as the... Uh, a Patreon and the, the new merchandise and uh, some other cool things. I uh, really appreciate it. I um, really appreciate all your support. You're just all so fantastic. Christians or any religion or even any pseudoscience really love when they find something that seems to confirm what they already believe. Colds, flus, streps, even COVID, every disease cured with ease by this blessed formula based on ancient scripture. And Christians love saying that science has proven the Bible to be true. The Bible is scientifically reliable. 
all right? The, the Bible is scientifically reliable, all right? They didn't get any amens, but that's all right. I'm going to Please clap. Show you in a moment ways that scripture, this book written by Hebrews, this book written by Hebrew shepherds out in the wilderness thousands of years ago, I'm going to show you how this book in the pages that were penned by these men in antiquity has transcended time, it's transcended logic, and it has actually preceded science in many major world-shaking discoveries. Creation itself declares the greatness of God, and time, space, and matter are a trinity all in of themselves. But they're also a trinity of trinities. I told you to take notes, all right? I'm just warning you. Time, think about this. Time consists of three things. Past, present, future. Space is also a trinity. It consists of length, width, and height. Matter, all matter in the world, consists also of three things. Liquid, gas, and solids. And also there's plasma, so that's not three anymore. And also there's something called the Bose-Einstein condensate, but I don't understand what that one is, but apparently that's the fifth one. Yeah, there are some cases where there's three of things. And he didn't even talk about how there were three Charlie's Angels and that there is a comedy rule of threes and that But it's possible we made him into a trinity because we like threes, or that you can pick any number and find significance in some way. At a time when some believed that the earth sat on the back of a large animal, 1500 BC, the Bible spoke of the earth's free float in space. Quote, he hangs the earth on nothing. Science didn't discover that the earth hangs on nothing until 1650. But what is nothing? Is the gravity that keeps the Earth orbiting the sun and the sun orbiting the center of the galaxy nothing? Does nothing exist? Maybe, but what would that look like? But the Bible also says that the Earth is on pillars, so is that part a metaphor? Skeptics sometimes say that the Bible is out of touch with science because certain passages speak of the Earth sitting on pillars. But let me ask you a question. Do you think watching a sunset at the beach is a nice thing? Yes? Well, but the sun doesn't actually set or move downwards in the evening, nor does it rise or move upwards in the morning. So is it wrong to talk about sunset and sunrise? No, of course not. To speak of sunsets is to use what is called phenomenological language. The word used describes something as it appears to the human eye, without intending to deliver a scientific description of what's happening. The same thing applies when we read in the Bible that God established the pillars of the earth. This captures the impression that there are regularities underlying all of life, without intending to deliver a science lesson about our planet. So no, it's not the case that the Bible is out of touch with science, but it may be the case that the skeptic is out of touch with how language works. So basically, if we can make it work, then it's science that proves the Bible, and it counts. But if not, if it doesn't work scientifically, we can disregard it, or we can disregard the science. The God who sits above the circle of the earth, that word circle in its original etymology, its original word there that was used by the author, means sphere. As, as far as I can tell, it is technically also the word for sphere, but that's because they didn't have a word for sphere, so they would have just used the word circle because it's the closest thing to describe it. So yes, they could have meant sphere, but there is no reason to assume that based on the text. He says in 700 BC that you are the God who sits above the sphere, the circle of the earth. The Bible told you that this earth was a globe 2,200 years before science could ever prove that it actually was a sphere. It was not until Magellan could circumnavigate the planet in the 1500 AD, nearly 1500 AD, Magellan circumnavigated the planet and that was the first time that science could actually prove that the earth was a sphere. Incredible. Preceded science by 2,200 years. They, they knew the Earth was around long before Magellan. 
Yes, Magellan maybe was the first person to circumnavigate it, but that doesn't mean they didn't know it was round beforehand. That'd be like saying we didn't know the moon existed until Apollo 11 landed there. They knew that the Earth was a globe long before we even had Christianity. But yes, this verse was written a couple hundred years before that. But also it says circle, not sphere. And also the same verse says that the heavens are like a curtain and a tent on the earth, which isn't a very great description on how the stars work. But they have such a strange relationship with science and even the word science. I love science. I'm so excited about science. I do not, however, like scientism. Science is the applied understanding to the natural universe to understand how everything works. Science explains things. Scientism is the religion of science, saying there's nothing behind science. Science is the principle behind which you cannot go. Science is the thing behind the thing. And all scientism is, is it explains away. So I love science, which explains. I do not like scientism, which explains away, where you worship science as your religion. Well, it's a good thing that no one does that then. And that can happen with a lot of people today, especially in the Eurocentric Western uh, hemisphere of our planet. That tends to be the trend. Now, I get accused all the time of making science my god or my religion, and it doesn't make any sense. I find science interesting. It's interesting, the ghosts. But you're and I like hearing about scientific studies or new scientific advances. When I'm curious about how something works, I like looking it up, but I don't give all my money to science. I don't pray to the science of agricultural studies before I eat or ask a neuroscience for sweet dreams before I go to bed. I'm just interested in how things work. What they're really saying is that because I've rejected religion as a means to understand the world around me in favor of scientific understanding, that I have applied other aspects of my life to science like I would have with religion. And that is simply not the case. What it seems to be saying is that scientific understanding that aligns with their religion is fine, but looking at and understanding science that contradicts their religion is not fine and crosses the line into being a religion itself. You only believe in science. That's probably why we never win. Bible was not originally intended to be, give us all the technical terms of the scientific method. The Bible is, remember, it's, it's a mostly poetry, it's mostly story. When you look at the Bible, it's not a science book proper in the sense that it gives you all the you know, meanings and understandings of the subatomic realm. What the Bible is, is where science tells us how, the Bible tells us why. So science tells us how God created everything. The Bible tells us why God created everything. Because here's the thing about scientism. This is where it falls apart. Scientism cannot tell you why everything is. Oh, it can tell us why we're trying to survive, survival of the fittest, quote unquote. But in reality... When you get to the ultimate why, like why are we so passionate about surviving? Why are we searching for meaning? Why do we grieve those who are, are dead, who we love in the present tense, even though they're gone in the past tense and there's no Darwinian explanation, social utility or evolutionary principle that can explicate why this is happening. See, science can tell you how the universe was made. The Bible tells us why the universe was made. Science most definitely can tell us why things happen. And we have known for so long that it isn't just survival of the fittest. There is so much more about what makes us who we are. And just because there is a scientific answer to it doesn't mean it's not a beautiful or interesting answer. And so that's why it's so important, as we'll get into in a little bit, Christians invented science. So for Christians to then go against science is very contradictory to its origins. Christians invented the, metho the methodological, scientific postulates, theories, hypothesis, and evidence that we now enjoy today, which gives us our iPhones and space shuttles and the ability through SpaceX to one day colonize Mars. And yes, there is some truth to that. Not necessarily that they invented science, but yes, Christians have advanced science in a lot of ways, for sure, because they thought that they could use it to prove God's existence. The problem is that it didn't do that. So many scientists either left the faith or they left their scientific study behind for the faith. Because real scientific discovery happens when you aren't sure of the outcome or you aren't aiming for an outcome. Science starts with an unknown. 
And science also ends with an unknown. If you ask a scientist, how did it all begin? They'll say the Big Bang Theory. You say, but what before that? They say, I don't know. You ask a scientist, how will it end? They'll say, I don't know. But if you go to the Bible and you go to Scripture, the infallible, spoken, inspired word of the living God, it fills in the blanks that science cannot offer. It tells you and suggests to you exactly how the universe was fashioned and made. It tells you how and why everything came into existence. And it also tells you how everything will end. And the thing is that the scientific method sometimes takes a while and sometimes we don't get the answer that we want. And that scares people. It scares people because with religion, at least we have an answer. And someone who wants an answer right now can get that with religion. And there is a comfort in that. But the thing is, I am okay with not having an answer or not having an answer I like over having the wrong answer and feeling comfortable. Or worse, having a wrong answer that actually causes more harm than it does good. If the Big Bang Theory is true, then I would like to know what exploded and where did it come from and where did the energy come from and where did the space come from for the matter to expand into and where did the organization come from and where did the information come from? There's a whole host of questions that are a whole lot harder for you to answer than in the beginning God. Where is it, where's information come from? Then I have good news for you. So do scientists, which is why they are studying it. But you thinking that because someone doesn't know something, that you can be smug and you can laugh at them does nothing to actually get to the truth of anything and actually find any real answers. Question, where did the Big Bang come from? Who lit the explosive? Nothing. Or they'll say, nothing? So it came from nothing? So nothing caused everything? That goes against everything that science says, that there's always a cause. Again, what is nothing? As far as I know, everything is made of something, so discovering a nothing would be pretty incredible and would be something worth studying. And maybe there was a nothing, and that nothing became a something. That's really interesting. How did that happen? Let's try to figure it out. Maybe there was something else, and out of that came what we have. And maybe, maybe it was a god, and maybe it was your god. If it was, if we keep studying, maybe we'll discover that. But we don't do scientific studies with the answer already in front of us. We study things and then we make conclusions based on what we study. Why be afraid of that? Why be angry at that? If your God did it, then we'll figure that out through science. Like, do you either believe in science or do not believe in science? I am an American. I can believe in whatever I want I'm in any given an moment. You don't get the argument I'm trying to make. And if God is separated from ethics and morality and behavior, then there is no ultimate judge of our behavior. There's no sin. There's no guilt. There's no judgment. There's no punishment to fear. Live any way you want to live. And that's how those philosophers lived, and that's how Darwin lived. No, there's probably not, and there hasn't been any evidence for a higher power looking down on us in judgment. So we have to keep each other in check. And don't get me wrong, we suck at it, and we need to improve how we do it, but that's why we have laws and courts and jails, because we're at least trying to figure out how to do it ourselves, because there's nobody else to do that. My name is Judge. What kind of name is that, magazine? Free to live any way you want. There's no creator. So make your choice. You want to worship God, holy, omniscient, true, or do you want to worship Charles Darwin, who is the stooge for atheistic humanism? Let's say hi to two books. One, the Bible, was written by our Lord. The other, The Origin of Species, was written by a cowardly drunk named Charles Darwin. Darwin has never been a religious figure. He's a flawed person who did some really cool science. Not everything he said was right, but he advanced our knowledge in a significant way, and he pointed us in the right direction. He helped us better understand how things work, and science has advanced and advanced and advanced since then. But he's not like the atheist pope or anything. But they love to frame it in a religious context because that is the world that they know. 
In the broadest sense of the word, evolution means descent with modification. And of course I believe in that. Every young earth creationist believes in evolution in that sense because he believes that all human beings are descended from a single human pair. And yet look at the enormous differences between, say, an Australian Aborigine and a fair-skinned Laplander. Um, Clearly there's been descent with modification among uh, living animals and organisms. Um, If you mean that uh, all living organisms are descended from a common ancestor, um, I'm skeptical about that. It seems to me that we don't have any good evidence for a monophyletic origin of life the evidence is consistent with phyla originating independently of each other, even though there would be a good amount of common descent um, within certain um, biological orders. Um, As for the explanatory mechanisms of evolutionary change, like random mutation and natural selection, I think that within the community of evolutionary biologists, there's a great deal of skepticism about the adequacy of those evolutionary mechanisms. And the uh, cutting edge of evolutionary theory today is to talk about additional mechanisms. Um, William Lane Craig is not a biologist or a medical doctor or an anthropologist or someone in a field that studies evolutionary biology. He has not published any peer-reviewed studies on evolution or biology. I'm not saying he isn't a smart man, but his beliefs about evolution aren't informed by scientific research or scientific understanding. They are primarily determined by his inability to reconcile science with his faith. Now, I am not a scientist. I am a YouTuber. I have no more ability to prove scientific theories as an apologist, pastor, or Christian YouTuber has the ability to disprove scientific theory. But the thing is that I'm not claiming anything that isn't already scientific consensus. I'm not claiming long debunked arguments. These people are. I'm not saying you can never claim things that aren't scientific consensus. Most great scientific discoveries are made that way. One scientist disagreeing with the rest of the scientific community and going out and proving their hypothesis and showing their work and having a peer review process that amounts to real scientific change and understanding. These people are scientists and they're praised and remembered. Most Nobel Prize winning scientists changed how science is understood. And that's a good thing, but that's not what these people are doing. These people are making arguments that sound clever to try to get people to ignore science that actually mean nothing. They aren't disproving anything or putting the work in to actually disprove something or prove a new hypothesis. You know what makes humans different from other animals? Feet. No, 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 come on, bears have feet. We're the only species on Earth that observes Shark Week. They're making arguments. Atheists confirm that the road to atheism always begins in a biology class with Charles Darwin. Saying that scientific understanding leads to atheism isn't really an argument for your side. And it always appeals to sinners running away from God, running in the direction of their lusts and sin. Creation cannot be understood any other way than by believing the revelation of the Creator. If you want to choose Charles Darwin, you can have him. But Charles Darwin is not a hermeneutic to interpret Genesis 1 and 2. Creation, as I said, has no connection to science as we know science. Science as a reality was created by God at the creation. Science is simply the observation of the way things are, and they are the way they are because He created them that way in six days. If science is an observation of the way things are, and that is leading people away from your God, maybe your God just simply isn't the way things are. You're so religious! How are you going to do 
science experiments if you don't even believe in science? Just because someone's religious doesn't mean they have a problem with science. And certainly, if an introductory biology course at a community college can refute 2,000 years of miracles... Oh, God! Somebody says, well, couldn't God have used evolution? That question is intrusive, irritating, and irrelevant. If you want an answer, He did not. He did not. He made everything in six days. Why are you questioning what God has said? If God came to you and said, I made everything in six days, what would you say to Him? Well, now, now listen, God, uh, there are some things you need to know about science. When your worldview is God said it, I believed it, that settles it, like so many bumper stickers say, or this awesome song says, When you live your life with that mindset, then you don't get to say anything about science. But Trevor, you may say, Trevor, what is the problem here? Some unscientific people don't believe in evolution or the Big Bang. What's the harm? And maybe it isn't that harmful for a few people to not want to believe or not want to understand how the world works so that they can hold on to their religious belief. But they want this anti-science attitude to spread. They want to force it into the schools. Well, the Arkansas House has approved legislation that would allow educators in the state to teach creationism in science classes as one of the possible origins of the earth. Creationism could soon be added to your child's science curriculum if a bill that's making it its way through the Indiana General Assembly passes a House vote. Gina, Senate Bill 89, originally deemed the creationism bill, was written to allow school corporations to teach the theory of creationism in public schools. And when they can't do that, they want to take their children out of the schools and they want other people to take their children out of the schools and teach them this nonsense at home. Hi and welcome to Homeschool Quick Tips. I'm Dr. Georgia Purdom. This is Dr. Jennifer Rivera and we are two homeschool moms with a lot of experience but we also work here um, at Answers in Genesis to help develop the programming and curriculum for the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter. And so the purpose of this show is to help you understand how to use uh, those programs and resources and so much more that Answers in Genesis has to offer uh, in your homeschool. We are saying, okay, in your most formative years, we are going to do everything we possibly can to make sure that your entire educational experience is influenced by the Word of God. And wow, that is going to set you up so well for when you do go out into the world and you're met with all of these kinds of crazy ideas and different ideologies, you are going to be so prepared and so equipped to contend with those different kinds of lifestyles and ideas because yes. you are going to have such a strong grasp on what the word of God is. says, here's the truth, evolution, no God, da, da, da. and everybody kind of goes, yeah, that makes sense. And your kid goes, huh, okay, I guess that makes sense. So they're literally designed mm -hmm. to create an indoctrination um, environment rather than an education environment. And that is incredibly important for you to teach your kids. Here's what's coming. Teaching children not to trust science causes some big problems for today and for our future. The term standing on the shoulders of giants refers to the idea that we don't start from scratch. We build on the knowledge that has been passed down from other great thinkers. When we actively try to make a large portion of the next generation scientifically illiterate, and scientifically ignorant, we hurt our chances at actually making scientific advances going forward. Yes, you may be successful at keeping them in your religion, but you risk creating a society void of scientific advancements. It's not just that people won't be studying evolution or Big Bang cosmology or whatever science you're personally afraid of. This kind of thinking discourages people from all science. But it's not the only danger this kind of thinking causes. Approaching science like it's something that you can just pick and choose from means that it gives people permission to ignore the science they don't like or find inconvenient. 
things that matter today, things that matter for our future survival. There is a troubling indicator about global warming. Preliminary data shows the Earth has breached a critical temperature threshold for the first time in recorded history. On Friday, according to Europe's Copernicus Climate Monitor, the global average temperature was more than two degrees higher than pre-industrial levels. It happened on Saturday, too. The data surpasses the limits set out in the Paris Climate Accord in 2015. That's when global leaders agreed to work towards capping the rise of global temperatures at 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. As Jackson Prosco reports, carbon-cutting policies haven't done enough to reduce emissions. This is why they're worried. For decades, the global average temperature has been getting higher and higher. Then in July this year, it broke through 17 degrees for the first time. The record for the hottest day on Earth fell not just once, but three times in a week. And it's not just the land that's hot. The oceans, which take up most of the world's heat, are seeing unprecedented temperatures. The centre says this year's maximum sea ice level is about 1 million square kilometres less than the previous record low set in 1986. For context, that is about the same size as British Columbia. And the average maximum amount of sea ice between 1981 to 2010 compared to this year is about 1.75 million square kilometres less, about the size of BC and Alberta combined. Experts say sea ice is necessary for penguins who use it to breed and rear their young, on top of other environmental factors. But there is one group in particular that doesn't seem convinced. Pew Research poll from November found that 53% of Americans say human activity is responsible for a warming planet. However, only 32% of evangelical Christians agree. But Global warming, sir? I'm sorry, that's just a bunch of scientist talk. Same people at Heavy believe that my great-grandfather was a monkey. If he was a monkey, then why was he killed by a monkey? So all these recent weather events are causing climate anxiety. So what do you tell young people about global climate change in the world's future? Well, let's just summarize what you said. It's hurricane season and we have hurricanes. It's fire season and we have fires. And it's summer and it's hot. Uh, these things have happened before and they'll happen again. This isn't... And we're not seeing anything unusual or unprecedented. This interview is from September of 2023. The hottest summer on record with unprecedented amounts of wildfires and natural disasters. But it's inconvenient to think about our responsibility in that. So he says it's all fine. So much for global warming. Actually, this, this is direct proof of the... Nope. I'm not going to take the bait. How they talk about we've got to save the planet. It's man thinking he can save himself. Man thinking he's his own God, which is Genesis 3, 5. Mm -hmm. you can become, you'll become like God. Man thinking he saves the planet. It's just that if I save you from drowning right now, I'm kind of playing God because the Bible says that God gives life and takes life away. So why should it be up to me if you live or die? And, and by the way, man is not going to destroy the planet. God promised Noah after the flood, Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, uh, summer and winter, day and night, uh, uh, will not cease. But why do they always go to the fact that God likes killing and destroying things as a way to say that God is good? Nothing about the flood story or his promise after the flood shows a good God. At the very least, it shows a God who makes rash decisions and then regrets it, but it also shows an angry God who didn't regret that he did a genocide, but how he did the genocide. So he put a rainbow in the sky to remind everyone that he'll kill them different next time. And when you read Romans 1, I think what you're seeing happening today in the, in the homosexual revolution, the gender revolution, and now in the climate change, all of that, you read Romans 1. Everything in Romans 1 is happening before our very eyes. To be fair, it did take a while for someone to jam some homophobia and transphobia into the conversation, so I guess that's... That's a positive. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator. That's what's going on. It's a worship of man. It's a worship of nature. Guys, we don't really have to worry about global warming because, yes, is the earth getting unbearably hot? Of course it is. But it's all a part of God's plan. Look, if God wants to roast us like turkeys, there's got to be a good reason for it. Let me make it very simple. The earth is a disposable planet. If you want an illustration, you wouldn't really try to save permanently a styrofoam cup, would you? 
relative to God's plan and to eternity, this, this planet is a styrofoam cup. It has a very brief usage. So when God looked over his creation and said that it was good, he was looking over a piece of trash? Or in Jeremiah when God said, And I brought you into the plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things, but when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. He was talking about a temporary thing that's going to be thrown out? Or in Psalms when he said, In his hands are the depths of the earth, the height of the mountain are also his, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. He just says, chuck it. It's just a styrofoam cup. That, that's what he's saying in those verses. First and foremost, the Bible speaks in the book of Romans about a generation that was going to spend more time worshiping the created things than the creator. And I think that that generation is on the earth today. When you start to support the rescue of endangered animals and abort fetuses, you have inverted the perspective of value. I see this meme posted a couple times a year about how we care more about the eagles or whatever bird than we do about human fetuses. And it's such a stupid comparison. It's just that when an animal is on the endangered species list, we try to do things that don't move it to the extinct list. When we talk about climate change in the context of our modern day, where people are worried about glaciers melting and cities being underwater and hurricanes and all of these things that are being caused, what you're hearing is a brand new form of pagan religion that is making created things more important than the God who created them. So not wanting the planet to burn up and all the ice to melt and all the animals to die is a pagan religion? Well, the fancy words for it are materialism or idolatry, but the, the practical aspects is they're, they're trying to convince us that creation is our salvation. That if we'll worship creation, that's the highest value you could embrace. If you'll care more about the world that we're living on than the people living in the world. Um, where are we going to live if we can't live on this planet? I would argue that caring for the planet is caring for people. This planet will probably survive. It's the humans that might not. You're a person of superior moral quality. Don't look at the people who are hungry and don't look at the people who are starving and don't look at the governments that dramatically oppress their people and subject them to most horrendous behaviors. Don't look at that. Oh, okay, so we should put our efforts into helping the poor and refugees then? See, there, there's a, we, we need more information than we have. We have to think with thoughts other than what our secular culture hands us. We need more components in the equation. Jesus did not tell us that elimination of poverty is the assignment. What's happening at our border is largely being pitched to us as a humanitarian effort. It's simply not true. Five billion people in poverty in our world. If we take a million people a month into our nation, which would bankrupt us as a people, it wouldn't make a dent in global poverty. No, no. That was just an argument for that situation. He doesn't actually want to help the poor people. Let's worship the trees. Now, I like to be outdoors. I'm an advocate we're given a stewardship assignment over this planet, but we're told not to worship it. Amen. You know, the fancy word for that these days is climate science. Amen. When we really want to get our attention, we call something science. See, right there, there is such a disdain for even the word science in this evangelical world. While the world is plunging towards destruction and human character is deteriorating and violence is exploding and we have hundreds of global conflicts and millions of children being, lives being terminated and all sorts of atrocities and horrors and genocides being perpetrated, they want us to change our light bulbs. Sorry to ask this, but is, is he like a, a dumb person? Does he think you can't be against genocide if you change your light bulbs like it's one or the other? And doesn't uh, changing your light bulbs save him money on his electric bill? I was going to say hydro bill. I have hydro bill in the script. And then I realized that uh, most of my uh, American uh, viewers and pretty much anyone who's not from Ontario will think I'm talking about a water bill. Um, but we call um, our electric bill our hydro bill because we use hydroelectricity and um, our our 
billing company is Hydro One or Toronto Hydro. So, um, anyways, it's electric bill. Or to stop using a gas stove. Or to tell us that fossil fuels are the greatest expression of evil amongst us. It's not an abstract evil like jealousy or malice or greed. It's a physical thing that exists that is killing us. I guess it is kind of greed because it's about money and people don't want to switch to non-fossil fuels because then that would be a new industry and then people in the fossil fuels industry would have to get new jobs. So it is greed, uh, but the physical thing, the fossil fuels aren't an evil in that sense. They're just a poison that is making us die. Folks, it's a very elaborate, very well orchestrated, highly motivated bait and switch. I'm an advocate for taking care of the world in which we live. But first we have to take care of the relationship we have with the living God. Again, you can do two things. We can work to find alternatives to fossil fuels and you can have your relationship with your God. They're not mutually exclusive. In these last days has spoken to us in His Son. So the last days begin when Christ arrived. And the last days are the days between His first coming and His second coming. So throughout that entire period of redemptive history, there will be mockers who will come and ridicule the idea that Jesus is returning. And if you haven't experienced that ridicule, it may be because you haven't told anybody that's what you believe. But if you find any of these supposed elite scientists who are caught up in this climate nonsense, they, they would laugh you to scorn over the notion that Jesus was coming back and He was going to do what the Bible says He was going to do to this universe. Mockers have been ubiquitous throughout all of redemptive history since Christ first coming. They come with their mocking, mockers with mocking. That's a very strong form in the original language. They take advantage of those who doubt. They take advantage of those who are ignorant. And as your pastor, I don't want them to take advantage of you. Jesus said that it would happen within the lifetime of His disciples, and it's been almost 2,000 years. So I'm sorry if some people think that these people look a little ridiculous for still believing it. It's also a classic cult tactic to otherize and paint anyone who disagrees with you or points out the flaws in your belief system as an enemy, as a scoffer, as someone who doesn't understand the faith or is in the know. So yes, some of us do not think that Christ is coming back to bring us to our next home. So, as a result, we are doing what we can to try to keep this home that we live in now from burning to the ground. I'm thinking I should go. You know, it's a perfect size for someone alone. I like it. I, I do. I'm, I'm just really concerned about dying in the fire. It's a big decision how one prefers to die. And they're not truthful. They're more truth, no more truthful than they were when they told you you could wear a bandana over your mouth and it would protect you from a virus. It's about as effective as a screen door on a submarine. That's about as funny as a screen door on a battleship. Screen door on a submarine, you dork. The masks were there to protect other people. When we talk, spit comes out of our mouth. And with that spit comes the germs. When you stop that spit from going everywhere and landing on things, you lessen the spread of germs. It's not rocket surgery. Does he walk into an operating room and point and laugh at the doctors? Ha <laughs> ha! Hey, Nelson, he's really hurt. I think he broke his leg. I said ha ha! But also, thank you for the segue. It's not just making it so our future might have less scientists or that we don't have a future at all. Not trusting science is killing people in real time. 
We saw it on full display when the COVID vaccine was released. As of today, more than 66 million Americans are fully vaccinated against the coronavirus, and many others are eagerly waiting for their shots. But among white evangelical Americans, interest in the vaccine isn't as widespread. John Yang speaks with one evangelical leader about why that is and what can be done to change it. It being anti-mask and anti-vaccine, this anti-government, then I'm proud to be anti-government. As more and more Americans are getting vaccinated, resistance remains strong within one group in particular, white evangelicals. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yeah, don't trust the people who censor everything. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. One of the worst things about this whole thing is that it has maneuvered me into the position of looking like an anti-vaxxer. I think vaccines are wonderful. I think vaccines are a great blessing from God. But I don't think unresearched emergency order, shut up, uh, they explained kinds of vaccines are helpful at all. So you bought into this specific anti-vax narrative, even though you have dismissed anti-vax narratives before. That doesn't make you a skeptic. It means that you are just as susceptible to misinformation as anyone else. Being right about one thing doesn't mean you are right about everything. And this mindset costs lives. A pastor who promised to keep preaching through the pandemic, quote, unless I'm in jail or the hospital, has now died from the coronavirus. Colorado conservative radio host and pastor has died of COVID-19. Bob Enyard had complications from the virus. His co-host announced it on social media Monday. In October, Enyard won a lawsuit against the state of Colorado over its COVID-19 restrictions and religious assembly. He was against COVID-19 vaccines. In August of this year, Enyard said he and his wife had sworn off the vaccine. Being anti-vax was his crusade, but COVID evidently claimed his life. Marcus Lamb, died after being hospitalized for COVID-19 recently. Liam led a popular Christian broadcast network and used his empire, among other things, used it to spread inaccurate information about coronavirus vaccines. I'm gonna get so many comments and people are gonna quote specific people or specific arguments or tell me to look at a specific doctor or watch a specific YouTuber, but it's not about what one corner of the internet thinks or one person thinks. It's never about your solid-sounding argument. It's about scientific consensus. It doesn't matter how strong these pastors preached or what strong-sounding arguments they made. They still died. Uh, the Washington Post uh, tweeted that... Uh, tweeted about a reverend or a pastor that claimed that God was bigger than the coronavirus and they seemingly gleefully tweeted that he had died. So the Washington Post tweeted this, prominent Virginia pastor who said God is larger than this dreaded virus dies of COVID-19. So obviously what they're trying to depict for you in that tweet is the irony uh, in a person of faith, someone who puts their faith in God dying. That's what they're trying to demonstrate. They're trying to, they've got a little tongue in cheek there. They've got a little smirk as they're writing this tweet about this Virginia pastor dying who said that God is bigger than the coronavirus. What they're trying to say is that, ha ha, he has been proved wrong. And you people of faith who think that God is in control all of this, when you end up dying, we're going to laugh at you too. But they're so secular and stupid that they don't understand that this pastor dying of the coronavirus doesn't actually undermine what he said. It doesn't actually discount the fact that God is bigger than the coronavirus. And if they had any scintilla of wisdom or biblical knowledge or theological savvy at all, they would understand that someone dying of the coronavirus doesn't undermine their faith in God, that we understand that people die every day. People of faith die of cancer every day. They die of all kinds of diseases and sicknesses and of natural disasters. That doesn't mean that we think that God is not sovereign, that he's not good, that he's not in control, because for the Christian, dying isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. Or maybe they are trying to warn other people not to make the same mistakes as them not to view anti-science rhetoric at the same level as science. 
Sure, it's fine if you want to die. I mean, I would rather you didn't. I wish people weren't in a religion. I wish you weren't in a religion that made you want to die. But that's not up to me. But the thing is that herd immunity is a real thing. And when less people get the vaccine, more people die. And it didn't just start with COVID. This news report is from 10 years ago. Pearsons is the pastor. We've had a few families that have been affected by this. And so we want to shut this thing down. More than a few, 16 cases of the measles originated at the church, including seven adults and nine children. The youngest is just four months old. Health officials say 11 of the victims have never been vaccinated. Not surprising considering the pastor's televangelist father had long spoken out against children getting immunized, often suggesting a link to autism. Listen to this recent broadcast posted on the church's website. As parents, we need to be a whole lot more serious about this in, in being aware of what is good and what isn't. And you don't take the word of the guy that's trying to give the shot about what's good and what isn't. Mm -hmm. You better go read the can or read the thing. Find out what's going on there. And the Copelands kept this kind of thinking going. This news report is from five years ago. Many parents still believe that the flu shot will actually give you the flu. The medical community is worried about misconceptions like that and this one from Gloria Copeland, an advisor on the president's evangelical board. Just keep saying that I'll never have the flu. I'll never have the flu. Put words, inoculate yourself with the word of God. And I get it. It's your health and your body. And there's so much misinformation and disinformation out there. And there's so much conflicting information. And it's hard to sift through it. I get that. But again, look at what the science is saying. Find trusted scientific sites that sort through this misinformation. Don't look for things that just confirm what you want to believe about something. Don't just trust someone because they have doctor in front of their name. Yes, I'm Dr. Venkman. Exactly what are you a doctor of? And worse, don't just trust someone because they have pastor or reverend or father in front of their name. Scientific study scientific understanding is what brought us out of the dark ages. It's why you can watch this video on multiple devices, including a fridge for some reason. When we fear science, when we demonize science, we hurt ourselves, we hurt the world around us, and we risk slipping back into the dark ages. I don't believe in science. I'm not saying you have to be an expert on everything. I'm not an expert on anything. What I'm saying is that we don't just buy into whatever sounds best and whatever sounds most comfortable to us, and whatever confirms what we already believe. I'm saying be skeptical, be critical, be uncomfortable sometimes. Hey everybody, thank you so much for making it this far. If you know somebody who may benefit from watching it, send it their way. And uh, you're all so wonderful and just just the best. And Jager says, you be you, love ya. Work, 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 Sky Moon. <laughs> Did it, buddy? We recorded. Yeah. What should we do now? Want to watch some Doctor Who with me? Me? Want to watch some Doctor Who with me? Yeah. Who wouldn't do that? You got it, buddy. Yeah, you got it, buddy. Thanks for being patient. Mm -hmm. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.